1: Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation.
2: Good morning, this is Ellie Weiss, and welcome to Our Wild World. With the Convention of International Trade in Endangered Species of Flora and Fauna, known as CITES, the Convention of Parties COP 17, COP 17, has begun and is in full swing. Our Wild World and Wild Eyes are bringing you the news of what is at stake through a variety of NGOs, experts, and programs that are headlining several. several. Several of the proposals. These proposals will define the future for much of our rapidly diminishing wildlife as we continue to bring you the list is Lisa Highwood, founder of the Tiki Highwood Trust, a nonprofit based in Zimbabwe, and their precious tenants are one of the most highly illegally trafficked animals in the world, the Pangolin. Perhaps you've never heard of it or you have by seeing thousands upon thousands of them packed in shipping crates headed for illegal wildlife markets. Lisa is going to help us understand this fascinating animal, what protections it needs, and how you, my listeners, can help. Lisa and the Tiki Highwood Trust is one of the official representatives for Zimbabwe and the pangolin at CITES COP17. And be sure to check out the just-published scientific report in Oryx, the Fauna and Flora International Scientific Journal. The name of the report is Taking a Stand Against Illegal Wildlife Trade, the Zimbabwean Approach to Pangolin Conservation. We will have that link posted on our website. And be sure to check the Tiki Highwood Trust, tikihighwoodtrust.org and uh, visit and see what they do. In the meantime, welcome Lisa.
3: Good evening. Hi Ellie. Good to see you and good to be a part of the show.
2: Well, I'm so glad you're here and it's good morning for me and good evening for you. That's what's so wonderful about <laughs> Skype and being able to connect with people all over the world and help, help our listeners understand what is going on. And these two weeks here are so critical in the terms of what's going on with wildlife, wild places, and wild spaces because of what is happening at CITES. And it's such a pleasure to be speaking with you today. I've known of you and your organization for more than 15 years, and we avidly read your newsletter. So listeners out there, do sign up for their newsletter so you can stay tuned on what's going on. Um, So when I was first introduced to you, I have to confess, I did not know much about pangolins, other than that they reminded me of our armadillos. However, I have since learned that the pangolin is unique. It has no other related species, not even our armadillo, even though they look similar. Therefore, it has a rich history and a very important role in the landscapes and ecosystems it inhabits. It resides across the globe. India, Pakistan, Vietnam, Zimbabwe, South Asia, four species in 24 countries across West, Central, and Southern Africa alone. There is a surprising lack of quantified data for this species other than it is disappearing rapidly from its range states as one of the most widely poached animals in the world. So with that uh, beginning, let's start, Lisa, uh, Lisa, with a little background about you, how you got started, and how, why and how you founded the Trust.
3: Thank you, Ellie. Um, We started the Tiki Highwood Trust in 1994. I set it up in memory of my late father, Tiki Highwood, and it's uh, aptly named after my father. Um, And believe it or not, pangolin were not necessarily our focal species that we wanted to start with. The first animal that the Tiki Highwood Trust undertook um, conserving was actually elephant. And in 1994, we undertook the first ever world elephant translocation for bull elephants um, which was an amazing experience and I can quite honestly say it opened my eyes to the world of conservation and how unique people can come together and work with one aim in mind and one goal and achieve it um, and I think for me what I garnered out of that experience of moving elephant was that we, we make up a whole multiple species And we are all equally important to uh, create this planet and be a part of this planet that we live and share. And the pangolin is only one of those species that make up the whole. Um, I think for me, I chose the pangolin as the logo because in Zimbabwe, a pangolin is the highest honor you can ever bestow to anybody. In fact, it's considered a royal species and only a chief can ever be given um, a pangolin as only they have the... In the stature to receive this animal. It's that um, revered in our country. So when I set up the Tikihawa Trust, I chose the pangolin as our logo because I wanted to um, honor my father. And I didn't expect 22 years ago that I would be working with the pangolin. Um, my first pangolin that I ever received was in October 1994. And she had been rescued from a trade, um, a, a, a poaching incident in the low fault. And I had been notified by our national parks to please help assist with this pangolin. And I met on the road the people that had uh, confiscated the pangolin. And in the sack was this animal that had the most peculiar smell. And when I first glanced at her, I was completely terrified. Because nothing prepares you for a pangolin. It is like you have mentioned completely unlike any mammal you will ever ever lay your eyes upon.
2: Give us a, give, give us a description right now. You've got me so you've got us so intrigued. What does it look like? How big is it?
3: Well, the, the eight species, there are eight species. So they're four in Asia and they're four in Africa. And all the species slightly differ in size. So let me start with the ground pangolin, which is the pangolin um, which is found in Zimbabwe and the one that we work with. Um, a ground pangolin is born um, and birth weight, you're looking at about 168 to 200 grams. And they grow up to over 20 kgs. So it's, it's a medium-sized animal. Um, the outer part of their body is completely covered by strong scales, which is made up of keratin, similar to that of rhino horn. Um, underneath their body they have a very soft underbody but when they roll into their defensive ball um, their underbody is completely protected and their limbs all go tightly against their body Um, and nothing can actually open the the body of a fully grown pangolin. Obviously your smaller pangolins are more susceptible to large carnivores um, at things like hyena, leopard, but your big um, pangolin, even lion, hyena, it doesn't matter what it is, honey badger, they won't be able to pry the pangolin open or damage its body. Um,
2: so, it has few, so it has few natural predators other than us.
3: You know what, if it's a baby, I would say yes, but the minute they get to adulthood, no. Man is and will remain the, the biggest predator um, for the pangolin. And I think with the amount of trade that's taking place with the pangolin right now, the, the natural predators um, don't even have a chance uh, that man is, is um, superseding any natural predator that there is out there.
2: So um, you had said it's revered and that only chiefs, royal people... Are really allowed to hold and have a pangolin so that brings us to this conundrum they're being poached to extinction so if it where did this reverence get lost or are they poaching in line with reverence I, I don't understand it is it because Asia and the the newfound middle class and status and and economic wealth that is coming along traditional medicinals As you said, the scales are made of keratin and used like rhino horn. Where did our connection, or the Zimbabwean connection, or the global connection to the reverence of the pangolin get lost, that it's so... In danger now.
3: Okay, well, let me take you back a few years. Um, in Zimbabwe in 1975, the pangolin was put on a specially protected list. Okay, so in Zimbabwe, the pangolin has been revered for, for many years. And our cultural belief, our cultural belief as Zimbabweans is to revere this animal. However, I think we've got multiple factors that have um, come into play now. You've got um, open air routes, you've got uh, trade links with Asia. And now, the continents have been joined and the bridges that have been formed through trade and um, the socio-economic empowerment has ha- has actually been to the detriment of multi-species as well as the pangolin. So I think we need to look at that as one aspect. I don't believe that the, the African populations have lost their reverence for this animal. I think they are faced with both poverty and a low economic um uh, empowerment within their different countries um, and then you've got Asia on the other hand on the other spectrum which is is slowly surely and steadily increasing their economic um, empowerment so we as Africa and I'm going to speak as Africa because right now all four species are under great um, demand and I think Africa has become Pandora's box to Asia and the demand that Asia has for this animal. Um, there is bushmeat, um which is in the west and central parts of Africa. In in southern Africa the pangolin was was potentially eaten here and there, but it was not a bushmeat animal that, you know, you would go into a market and there's always be pangolin and the bushmeat in in the markets. Uh, That that is not a common thing to see in in a country like Zimbabwe. You may have your um, sangomas, your witch doctors, they would have a few scales. Um, In South Africa, the scale locally, the local um, belief, the the local people believe that if you carry or wear a pangolin scale, it will ward off evil spirits. But it's not enough to create the demand that we are not are seeing across the globe for this species and so i think we can look cast our eyes to asia and say that in for us to get this animal to have a chance at survival we have to reduce the demand in asia which is where the demand is coming from
2: so today it really is about demand for wildlife products whether it's illegal or legal the majority of it is illegal, but that's what CITES is all about. The Convention on International Trade of Endangered Species, Flora and Fauna. So I've got a little statistic here from uh, one of the summaries from one of the proposals of CITES uh, that's on the table. Uh, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Statistics confirmed that 30,000 products made from pangolins were seized coming into the U.S., the U.S. alone, over the past decade. So when we think of Southeast Asia, as Tiki, uh, excuse me, Lisa was just telling us, and this booming population, not only in Asia, but across the world, the wildlife products are not just headed there. They're being transported out, seized, caught, poached within the countries that they live but they were are they're following the asian diaspora around the world leaking through borders that are more like a sieve and part of the problem and what we're going to be talking about today is the law enforcement has a difficult time being underfunded understaffed and under pressure to search as tiki uh, i'm sorry i keep calling you tiki um i'm talking to your dad we're channeling your dad today um International Wildlife Law Enforcement is under such pressure to search all these globalized ports of entry all over the world. It's an almost impossible task when um, crime cartels and poaching is on the scale that we have today. So um, we've got a couple minutes here. Why don't we head into some of the approaches that the Tiki Hai would Trust does and you've got um, a five-point, multifaceted approach to reducing wildlife crime, and a lot of that deals with legislation. And on your website, tikihighwoodtrust.org, uh, you've got it beautifully written up: direct, regulate, and implement; discover, train, and impart. So a lot of that deals with the judicial process, crime scene, and courts. Let's let's get into that a little bit, and we'll pick it up in the next section.
3: Okay. Um, Ellie, I'd just like to come in here and say that CITES is only one facet of solving the problem. Um, even if all animals uh, are uplisted to Appendix 1, or put it this way, all eight species of a pangolin are uplisted to Appendix 1, it is not going to solve the problem. And that's why, as the Tiki Howard Trust, we have looked at another area, which is law enforcement, um, but not only law enforcement, it's also the prosecution. We believe that in, in order to have correct legislation, firstly, secondly, you have to make sure that th- this legislation is enforced. And thirdly, once it's enforced, you have to make sure that the, the law acts as a deterrent. There is no point in having a law of a country where it is not enforced and not acting as a deterrent. Why have it? Um, And and this is the approach that we've taken and why we are working with the judicial system within Zimbabwe and having the results that we are being able to have.
2: So this brings me to another point. You said CITES is not the only body. Very true. Uh, Last week or um, a couple weeks ago was the recent deliberations from the World the IUCN Wildlife Conservation Congress in Honolulu. Uh, were you there? Was the pangolin uh, discussed there? And what were some of the deliberation, uh, the the, the, uh, the outcomes?
3: Um, I personally was not there but the pangolin was most certainly discussed and I think it was one of the focal species um, from being an animal that people almost have never heard about even through the NGOs um, and other conservation bodies around the globe I think the pangolin now at long last has had a spotlight focused on it and and people are talking about this animal and and getting prepared to try and save it all we can hope for is it's not too late
2: well I hope so because as you go through, if you check out the IUCN traffic website for CITES and look at the various proposals that are on the table, the majority of them out of, I think, 39 proposals are, I, I'm, I think, if I recall correctly, there's at least six to eight on pangolin alone across various countries where it, it's rain states. So um, pangolins have already disappeared in China. They're fast disappearing in Vietnam and other parts of Southeast Asia for the same reasons that the demand for rhino horn exists, as we talked about, and the the rise in the economic empowerment of the middle class and increased affluence. So, um, pangolin wasn't on our radar, so to speak, as, as we've discussed. Now it is. So, let's wrap this little section right here with why... Has it suddenly become in such demand?
3: Well, I, I think the demand, as we discussed a bit earlier, is from Asia, and they have a cultural understanding and belief of what the, the what the properties of this animal can do to enhance their livelihoods, which. Let's be very clear, none of those have been scientifically proven. So the blood of a pangolin, um, the scale of a pangolin, the fetus of the pangolin, all of these things that are consumed in Asia, not one um, uh, medicinal purpose, traditional medicinal purpose, has been scientifically proven to actually work.
2: So this is where we are, folks, my audience, my listeners, my wonderful people out there. We have to bring awareness And in all wildlife, crime and illegal trade and even legal trade, what this program is about, our wild world, is bringing awareness to what we humans have to reorient our lifestyles too, as tiki opened up i'm sorry tiki your dad here he is he's standing right next to me and what lisa are trying to tell us is the world has changed we are not living on the same planet we were on 50 years ago pangolins are being lost because of globalization and so much happening so stick with us we need to take a short break but you're going to want to come back because we're going to talk about law enforcement and why this is such a problem and what the tiki highwood trust is doing we'll be right back
4: Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now.
1: Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big. Scary. Beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G.
2: And welcome back. This is Ellie Weiss with my guest, Lisa Highwood of the Tiki Highwood Trust. Her father was Tiki, so pardon me when I keep calling Lisa Tiki. He's, I'm looking at a picture of him, and uh, he's here, and I think he's smiling that we are talking about uh, the Tiki Highwood, Highwood Trust and pangolins. So, Lisa, help us understand, what is it that the Trust does with pangolins?
3: Um, Ellie, actually with pangolins, uh, we've now been working, I think we're one of the longest standing NGOs um, worldwide that have been working with the species. We started working with the species in 1994, as I mentioned a little bit earlier. And we actually do everything with a pangolin from A to Z. We're involved with the rescue, rehabilitation the release of this animal we're also involved with working with the um, investigation units on the ground uh, in anti-poaching for these pangolin Um, and we we also work with uh, the laws and the legislation pertaining to this species and and all other species as well and we work with the court systems to try and make sure that the pangolin poachers are brought to book and actually justice is served when these animals have been um, poached and, and end up in trade.
2: Okay, so let's start here with, for now. How do you go about finding poached pangolins? How does this information come to you? How easy is it to poach them? What, what is it that people are doing? Do they live in groups, the, the pangolins? Are they solitary? How difficult is it to find them? And then when you do find them to perform a seizure, what what takes place here?
3: Okay, um, good question. Pangolin are solitary, predominantly, and very rarely will you see two pangolin together. Um, if you do, it's nine times out of ten, it would be a mother and an infant. Um, the pangolin is a very maternal species and protects its young uh, until it's old enough to be weaned from the parent. Um, so... If you're two pangolin, male and female, you would meet to mate, and then once mating has occurred, the mum would head off in her direction, and the dad in his direction, and then once the baby's been born, the mother would be 100% responsible for that baby. Um, so. To to see a pangolin in the wild is not a common experience. In fact, in 22 years of working with this animal, I've never seen a naturally occurring pangolin in the wild, which is a very scary um, statistic to state after being in, in Zimbabwe for so long and working predominantly with the species. Um, a very
2: sad one. How many have you rescued since 1994?
3: Since 19 well, in the last three years, we've just done statistics. We've rescued 104.
2: And then I think I read a statistic that there's been a million that have been traded, killed, poached on the illegal markets over the last decade. So for Lisa to say she's never seen one on a let's say, a little safari or a wander through the Zimbabwean bush, naturally occurring, that the only ones she finds are ones that have been poached, seized, and that she's rescuing and rehabilitating and returning to the wild. That's not only a scary statistic, it's a very sad comment on who we are. This is what this program is about. So be sure to go look at tikihighwoodtrust.org, learn more about the pangolin and what Lisa is doing. So um, l- l- let's... I'm curious, if a million have been taken in the past year, and you said you've dealt with 184 in just the last three years, how long is the gestation period, what is the lifespan, and can they possibly reproduce in the numbers that they're being taken, and how long would it take for them, their population numbers, to come back?
3: Good questions. I'm going to start at the end and go back to the beginning, if I may. I think the most important question that you asked there is, can their their reproduction rate um, curb the demand? Absolutely not. A pangolin uh, has one young, we believe, possibly every second year. OK, the gestation period is four and a half months. Uh, This is for the African pangolin. It's not 100 percent known. Uh, For definite, that is four and a half months. I think pangolins can potentially hold on to their young. We've seen it with pregnant females that have come in from the trade, that only when they feel safe and secure have they finally delivered their baby. Um, There is so much about this species, Ellie, that it's shameful that we're in the year that we're in and we know so little about this animal globally. Um, So to answer the the most the scariest question no this animal cannot come back from the brink of extinction because it can reproduce quick enough it, that that's just not going to happen if we can develop safe environments for these animals to live and reproduce the way that they should naturally 100%. Um, I'm going to bring up an aspect that I know is something we're very concerned about and that is the farming of pangolin. Uh, we do not support the farming of any wild animal, i.e. tiger farming, bear farming, rhino farming or pangolin farming. Um, in With pangolin in, in particular, this animal is, is highly stressed. It's a highly sensitive animal. It does not adapt well to captivity. Uh, in Africa particularly, the Diet is a major, major factor and concern. Um, These animals, because of their, their highly sensitive nature, they do not do well in captivity. And the amount of resources that would be required to keep this animal in captivity, it's just not sensible to put it into a captive environment when we can actually put it into our natural environment and create safe barriers for multiple species, not just the pangolin.
2: I'm so glad you brought this up because I, too, as my audience knows, am not a proponent of wildlife farming. To me, it's an oxymoron, wildlife and farming. The industrialization of our wild species for us in particular, not talking about reintroduction um, and rehabilitation and rewilding, that we would consider farming lions, rhinos, lions. elephants tigers you name it for our consumption to satisfy these markets that we know have no scientific value. There's no data about it. I'm in complete agreement with you. It comes down to a choice of what we humans want to do. Are we going to turn the world into our supermarket and commodify everything for a price, and this is what I call our benchmark of health and wealth, or are we going to turn it around so that the benchmark of health and wealth is the viability of our planet to not only sustain us, which is one tiny part of the picture that you said in the first part of our discussion, but we depend upon a vibrant, vital ecosystem, health, and habitat for all these creatures to live because they have a niche. They're here. Who are we to decide their fate? So, you and I are on the same page on that, and that's what I want our listeners to understand. And that's why CITES, IUCN, Traffic, and uh, the World Conservation Congress, and what the Tiki Highwood Trust does is so important. We have to change our perspective, folks, okay? Time to wake up. We're running out of time. But if we do it now, we have time. So, um, another question, Lisa. Um, Do we know how many pangolins there are? currently. No,
3: we do not. We do not know how many pangolins there are in any one of the range states where pangolins currently occur.
2: We only know how many there were because we find them dead or captured.
3: and, And even then, you've got to remember that it's only a percentage, a very small percentage of actual that we're finding. So if there are a million pangolins that we can... Quantify because we've counted them, then the number is actually a lot larger than that. And that's the scary reality of what we're facing. And with the pangolin, unlike any other species, we cannot go up in, a, in an airplane and count how many, one, two, three, four, like the elephant and the rhino. This animal, because of its nature, which is secretive, nocturnal, um, they, they live underground or in high canopies. It's very difficult to see Um, this animal and therefore count it so we don't know what we're dealing with we don't know if we have a population on the ground that is is strong enough or viable enough to to keep reproducing in certain countries and this is why we need to take action with the species quickly Uh, it it, it is paramount that we all wake up right now if we believe that this animal is worth surviving and fighting for
2: I'm just astonished Um, I'm I'm astonished that it is 2016, and we know so little. We know so much about so many things that support us and humans and our needs. And yet we've fallen so far behind in understanding the life support system that is Earth and its amazing non-human beings and inhabitants. So you said pangolins live underground or in canopies. I did not know they lived in trees. So how do you how do you find... How do you find a pangolin? Can you radio collar them? Can you DNA chip them and follow them with GPS like so many other species?
3: It, it is not as simple as it is with other species. In fact, I think I can quite comfortably say that nothing prepares you for a pangolin from every facet, from its its dietary requirements, from its um, husbandry requirements, from tracking and, and and following this pangolin, um, whenever we, we track um, released pangolin, it's very difficult. You, your night starts at possibly half past 11 and will go through until 3 a.m. in the morning because pangolin are nocturnal. And so... Um, to track these animals is, is is not an easy task particularly in a country like zimbabwe a lot of the distribution of where the pangolins occur are in what we call um big five country so you've got elephant rhino lion buffalo etc as well as trying to track a pangolin so it's not very easy um the tiki Howard trust has worked for the last six months on the first gpa satellite um tracking device for a pangolin and we hope to be able to fit that onto one of our released pangolins um before the end of this year, um, but before that, we were using VHF, which is what most countries um, in Asia and Africa have been using in the past. And it's not great. It, it 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 has its purpose, but it's not easy because as soon as the pangolin, such as the ground pangolin, goes underground, you lose you lose it. So um, it, it is it makes it very very difficult. We're hoping that if we can get enough data from GPS, GPS satellite tracking, um, you know, it, it will give us a better insight into the movements and understanding of these, species, of these animals.
2: Well, you bring up a really good point. This is where our listeners can help. Uh, once again, visit tikihighwoodtrust.org and go to their how you can help and how you can get involved links and donate what's some of your wish list um tracking devices <laughs> what kind let's get specific here so our 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 listeners know if they give some of their time and some of their money give up a latte for a week or a bottle of water here in 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 a very affluent nation and country what does that purchase for the for the trust to help the what? pangolin it, does it pay for your rangers does it pay for tracking what does a gps unit cost
3: Oh, a, a satellite GPS is, is thousands of dollars. It's three thousand dollars. So that that, but it's the first of its kind, and hopefully, once we've had further success, we'll be able to reduce those costs. Um, you've got VHF satellite VHF collars, which are obviously a lot um, uh, less expensive. You're looking at between two hundred and fifty to 300 us dollars for a vhf um, tracking device uh but every facet i mean if if somebody were to donate ten dollars or twenty dollars to pangolin conservation within zimbabwe it will go into not only the rescue um the rehabilitation and the release of that pangolin but it will also go into the the court process and i think a lot of people don't necessarily understand what this process entails um you know, it, it, is, it, it entails multiple uh, departments from your ZRP, your Zimbabwe police. It, you've got your investigators. You've got informants who have given you this information to act upon. Um, then you've, you've got your magistrates. You've got your public prosecutors. All of this is a system. It is team effort that is required in order to bring justice for these animals that have been poached. Um, and, and this is something that the Tiki Trust has been working on for the last five years. Is, is understanding our judicial system, uh, bringing it into into current day and understanding getting all the different um, authorities to understand how grave illegal wildlife trafficking is and how much it affects a country like Zimbabwe. Illegal wildlife trafficking affects every single one of us, whether you're sitting comfortably in in an air-conditioned or heated environment in America or you are starving in Africa. It doesn't matter where you are. Illegal wildlife trade affects every single one of us. And I do believe that we can all contribute to fighting this fight. Um, But we have to understand it and we have to understand how it is that we in our own capacities can support this kind of um, activity on the ground.
2: So what I'd like to do is get into that some more and all this uh, report that you've just, that's just been published in Oryx and what you're going to be doing at CITES. So why don't we step away for a little break and we'll be right back with really the crux of what is going on to save pangolins right now. So stick with us. We'll be right back.
4: Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now.
1: Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big. Scary. Beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G.
2: And welcome back. This is Ellie Weiss. You're listening to Our Wild World and my guest, Lisa Highwood, founder and uh, chief cook and bottle washer of the Tiki Highwood Trust. So in the first part of this program, uh, we've learned a lot about this. What was a very little known animal, the pangolin? We've learned that it is... Seriously threatened and currently at CITES, the Convention on International Trade of Endangered Species of Flora and Fauna, that uh, Lisa Highwood and the Tiki Highwood Trust are going to be the official representatives at CITES, and there is a lot going on at CITES about the pangolin. Um, across the world. As we said, it's found in several places around the world, Pakistan, India, Vietnam, Southeast Asia, and 24 countries alone across West, South, and Central Africa. So Lisa is in Zimbabwe, and we've heard a lot of news about Zimbabwe lately, Um, between the political strife that is going on, the deep poverty, um, the selling off of wildlife to China, and zoos there's the the baby elephants you began with elephants, so our audience is very aware of the young elephants that are being shipped off to China along with very uh, various other species. but I think it's also important to highlight here that we shouldn 't vilify China. China is the future um, they need our help in cleaning up their act and raising awareness. the chinese millennials the Asian millennials are very interested in what's going on in the world in a very closed country. So we need to understand the difference between the Chinese people and the millennials who are contemporary and modern, and the, um, newfound wealth of a new middle class that is very traditional and uses medicinals, which brings in illegal wildlife trade and trafficking. So, um, Lisa has mentioned several times, and this is what we're going to dig into now the enforcement work, uh, the legal, law enforcement, courts, and uh, running and highlighting and educating. the the system itself within Zimbabwe and the world to bring up to a standard pangolin conservation. So, Lisa, run with it. Help us understand.
3: Okay, Ellie, the first thing I'd like to say is that um, I think people need to understand that Zimbabwe may have multiple issues, as does every country. Um, However, with pangolin conservation, Zimbabwe is probably one of the most proactive countries on the globe, right at the moment. We are leading in multiple areas of pangolin conservation, um, not only with the, the amount of um, knowledge that we have obtained about the species um, and continue to share to other range states, both in Africa and in Asia. Currently, the Tiki Howard Trust is working to assist um, 12 different countries in Africa in pangolin conservation. Um, we are contacted from around the globe uh, on any rescued pangolin be it Asian or African even sometimes recently there was a phenomenal case in Cameroon where we were notified by um, under the IUCN uh, Pop mental program and they contacted us and we worked with the people on the ground in Cameroon where um, a pangolin had been traded illegally and a person who wanted to kind of have a pangolin to show, his tourist personnel that were coming to and from um, the species because not a lot of people do get to see pangolin and we managed to get that um, pangolin confiscated and returned back into the wild and and that brings me to the next step of why zimbabwe is is such a amazing country when it comes to this animal and the protection of this animal and secondly the prosecution of traders that are trying to trade this animal within zimbabwe Um, any Conservation dynamic, I believe, takes a multiple of people. Conservation can only occur when people come together and try and fight whatever it is that they believe they're fighting for together. So in Zimbabwe, I realized very early on that as an NGO wanting to save the species, we could certainly not save the species by simply rescuing, rehabilitating, and releasing this animal. We had to become involved in what was actually happening why was this animal being traded why were these figures increasing over every year that we you know worked with this animal we had to look deeper we had to dig deeper and when we did we were slightly horrified with what was going on and as much as there's a lot of ivory trade and rhino trade that we all know about equally in fact more so there is with this animal. Yet because it's small or slightly um, more insignificant than a large rhino or elephant, people have overlooked this. We haven't overlooked it in Zimbabwe. And the authorities have worked hand in hand with the Tiki Highwood Trust on all facets from um, notifying us the minute they hear of any intel on the ground to allowing us to work with them for the confiscation of the, the, the pangolin, for the arrest of the perpetrators not only that we can work with the the, the next phase, which is the judicial uh, partners, where we can work on the docket, where we can make sure that everything, including the necessary evidence, is presented in court. Uh, The magistrates in this country have come on board 100%. They are open-minded. They have received the knowledge that we had to give them about how traded this animal was and is. And they have openly said, right, this is the law in Zimbabwe. And let me just take a moment here to, to uh, bring the public into awareness as to what the law in Zimbabwe is. If you are found in the illegal possession of a pangolin, you will serve nine years in jail as well as have a fine of 5000 US dollars. This is a high price to pay for being found in the illegal possession of an animal such as a pangolin. So we in Zimbabwe take this very seriously. And I can comfortably say in 2015, we arrested 84 pangolin poachers. Of those 84, by end of 2015, 47 had already been convicted and sentenced to nine years in jail. I do not believe that there is one single country globally that can report those figures for pangolin poaching yet there are people in asia that are eating pangolin at restaurants even though in china the law states if you are found to eat a pangolin or i think there's x amount of um endangered species the the jail term the penalty for doing such a crime is 10 years how many times has china enforced that within china
2: right so you've you've just highlighted a very sticky wicked catch-22 You've been doing this work and highlighting and bringing up standards, judicial, law enforcement, and awareness, and you just reported that 84 poachers were convicted, and a percentage of them had been previously convicted.
3: So, no, no, me, no, no, I think you've misunderstood that. Okay, reiterate year, that, please. Okay, so in the year 2015, 84 pangolin poachers were arrested.
2: And prosecuted. Of
3: the, no, of those 84 Pangolin poachers, 47 have already been convicted and sentenced to nine years in jail. Okay. Okay, There obviously there's some that have been acquitted, and there are still some pending cases.
2: Okay, so is your outreach and the work that you're doing with the judicial system and law enforcement... I'm understanding you say that there has been a decrease it is working so where is the where are the gaps that still need addressing to bring this number down the number of poachers down to let's say zero and what we can do As individuals through our Facebook pages, Um, please check the Tiki Highwood Facebook page. And once again, TikiHighwoodTrust.org. Help, help, help. You've just learned where the the money goes. So what can we do as a social network? You said conservation is about people. That is my uh, tagline all the time. Wildlife needs us to leave it the space and the habitat to do what it does. And we need wildlife to occupy this habitat we need to protect it because it provides ecosystem functions that we depend on for our survival so where are the gaps what can we do to highlight across the world and as you would said China is not enforcing this what can we do what will CITES do and what will the other organizations do to change to change that statement
3: well geez, that's, a, that's a big question
2: um well, I guess it comes down to, to your hopes for, <laughs> yeah. for COP17 and then um, what we can do in terms of petitions or awareness to just make sure this does not fall off the radar.
3: Okay, let, let's simplify it because it's, it's a huge problem that we're facing. Okay, and it, in order to solve any major problem, it will become a multifaceted approach. So let, let's look at what we're dealing with. One we're about to go and and be able to hear proposals which will try and uplist all eight species of pangolin Currently all eight species of pangolin are on appendix 2. Okay Um, However, the Asian species those are four species in Asia have a zero commercial export quota Which means that no pangolins can legally be taken out of the wild in Asia But it has left Africa open because Africa doesn't have a zero quota. So we in Africa are subjected to people coming into our continent and taking pangolins out of the wild and sending them wherever they feel it's necessary. Now, you brought up the U.S. Uh, The U.S. is a a major problem right now because they have um, people that are coming into Africa and capturing wild-caught pangolins Not pangolin breed in captivity, because that's not happening in Africa, but wild-caught pangolin, and they are exporting them to the United States because they want to have them as zoo exhibits. Now, this is not something that I support at all, for reasons I've already mentioned earlier in this program. Um, But as long as we are on Appendix 2 with no um, quota, Africa will continue to lose its animals legally. So... Those people that are capturing wild-caught pangolins and exporting them to America for zoos, of which only a very small percentage are surviving, okay, um, they're doing that under the legal banner. Now, if we uplist all eight species to Appendix 1, that automatically stops that.
2: Well, it at least closes the legal loophole, but leaves the enforcement and um, people on the ground who are searching these containers and in entry ports? It puts a burden on them, correct?
3: It, it it does. However, let me bring you another positive. In a lot of range states in Africa, their legislation protecting the pangolin is based on the CITES um, appendices. So, um. For for example, if an animal is on Appendix 2, okay, the protection for that animal would be slightly less than if it was on Appendix 1. So again, the legislation becomes stronger within multiple African countries just by elevating the pangolin from Appendix 1 to Appendix 2. That's a very important step. Secondly, because this animal now is on Appendix 1, multiple groups around the world will be able to start focusing on the pangolin, okay? They won't see it as a less charismatic animal because let's face it, a lot of NGOs, they only want to work with charismatic animals, okay? Now, if the pangolin is elevated to Appendix 1, there will be funding available, which hopefully will then, in turn, go into the required enforcement on the ground, okay? We feel that enforcement is the first step that's required because we are running out of time, We mustn't forget that the element of education. Education is vital, but education takes decades. Okay, so that's something that we can start across the the globe is educating the next generation. Educating why we need to keep our land Free for animals to do what animals do. We need to protect spaces, wild spaces. We don't need to have human self gratification by walking into a zoo and seeing animals doing things that animals are not really meant to do because they're bored, stiff, they're pacing, etc., etc. Um, I think we can educate the next generation to understand that we share, and that is the word that I'd like to reiterate, we share our planet with other species, and we need to be mindful. Of, of this um, interaction. And we need to stare it away from what is quick, instant self-gratification because I feel that we're moving too much towards that vein and we are forgetting what I believe is important.
2: I agree with you I, 100%, 100%. I couldn't have said it better. We are forgetting that we are connected to this great, and it sounds like a cachet phrase, web of life. We are not a separate from it, We are a part of it, and as we can tell over the past 50 years through any scientific data from climate change, to species loss, to habitat destruction, to over human population and encroachment on wild spaces where there used to be buffer zones, we are everywhere, and it's going to be we, humanity, us as individuals, who will make the difference for the future, tomorrow, of what our world holds, and that... Really comes down to our survival. Earth will survive us, um, unless we, of course, you know, nuke it to death. Uh, but what kind of world do we want? Do we want a diminished world that is just homogenous and? there for us while we decide who lives who dies and why or are we going to maintain a planet and earth that is vital vibrant and functional for our survival and as lisa just said for the future and the future starts right now so once again i would like our listeners to visit tikihighwoodtrust.org read through what they're doing go to uh... IUCN traffic and COP17 CITES this is critical information folks um, what we're doing here what is being done at CITES and a week WildEyes has a team of observers there we're gonna meet up with uh, we're meeting up with Lisa in South Africa, in Johannesburg, we're, we're going to get some film and some interview, and um, we'll be posting that. We're going to be sharing this news. It's really, really important, folks. It's time to wake up. So, Lisa, unfortunately, we are out of time. Um, what a fabulous conversation. Um, I'm energized. I hope our listeners understand that this wonderful, unique, crazy kind of animal is really critically important it's a lesser-known animal it's not a megafauna but without it ecosystems suffer and zimbabwe suffers so lisa i thank you for your time
3: you're very welcome thank you
2: and we've all learned an awful lot today so we look forward to seeing you soon um Uh, The team's going to meet up with you in uh, Johannesburg, and we're looking forward to learning more and seeing what happens at COP17 and that pangolins get listed to Appendix 1. Very important, people. So that's it for today. Follow us on Facebook, follow Tiki Highwood Trust, and learn more. So, uh, once again, this is Our Wild World. I'm Ellie Weiss. My guest, Lisa Highwood, the Tiki Highwood Trust, and this is Our Wild World.
1: Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week, and what you can do right now.
0: Thanks again for listening to the preceding program.